right. Sorry, guys. I'm a little late to the party. Uh, well, welcome to HBF. Once again, it's good to see you all this morning and uh, carrying all my goodies up here. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting day. We have uh, a lot going on today. I was just talking with Dave Branham, and uh, uh, we got uh, missionaries flying to Dominican Republic, and uh, it's exciting. A lot of neat things going on in the kingdom of God. I brought up my my uh, Sierra Leone Bible. How many? Where are we at on this, Bob? Awesome. That's exciting. So thank I want to thank everybody who's pitched in and helped assemble these Sierra Leone Bibles. It's been an incredible effort by everybody in the Word First Ministry, other local churches that have come to help us. And so it's very exciting to be a part of all that God is doing in regard to Sierra Leone. So uh, if you have your Bibles, um, we'll be turning to the book of <clears throat> the book of Acts chapter 28 this morning. Acts chapter 28. And we're going to continue in our Finish Strong sermon series. And so, Acts chapter 28. We've been, we want to make sure that when we come to the end of our race, that we've, we're finishing where God wants us to finish. We want to finish strong uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, bear with me here. I'm getting myself still together. Uh, <clears throat> so, we've been in the, book of first, or in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, and we've already seen... Uh, we've already seen key men and key cities, and today we're going to be looking at uh, key, the key message. And so if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're able to join us and, and witness the baptisms this morning, and, uh, and we're glad that you're here with us. If, you're, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat rack in front of you, uh, and you can turn to page 1,450, and that's where we're going to be in our text this morning. So hang on just a second. Sorry, guys, I'm not as together as I wanted to be, so that's my bad. <clears throat> um, I'm going to go ahead and just, and just read with you the book of Acts, chapter 28. Acts 28, verses 17 through, through 31 at the end of this text. The Apostle Paul, as he's, as he's finishing up his run... Uh, and, uh, and coming to the end. It's not really the end of his ministry. I think there's still a few more years left. Uh, this is probably about 63 A.D. He, he, he is uh, uh, rec- recorded to be martyred, of course, around 68 uh, A.D., and so uh, it was a few years after this. We'll talk a little bit about that, but it really sets us uh, on a course to how we should finish as we watch Paul finish strong for the Lord. Acts chapter 28, I want you to look down in verse 17. Acts chapter 28 and verse 17. We're going to pick it up. We've already covered a lot of what is in the text. We've talked about the, the key cities uh, last week. The week before, we talked about the key men. Uh, and today, we're going to look at some key doctrine that, that's in, entailed in the message of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that he wants us to carry forward. And we're going to see it this morning. So in, in Acts chapter seven, or 28 and verse 17, the Bible says, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, 
because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any other brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desired to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, uh, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Now I want you to take note of that, right? The kingdom of God. Persuading them concerning Jesus, both of, out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go into this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. And I think that's very fitting for the time in which we live, as the church is noted for being blind right now in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And then notice what he says here in verse 28. Be it known, therefore, unto you that salvation, the salvation of God is sent unto the... Who's it sent to? The Gentiles, right? And, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves... And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God. There's a second mention of the kingdom of God. And teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity this morning to be gathered together to witness these baptisms, to uh, pray for missionaries like Lee Carter who are going to the Dominican Republic this morning, literally flying in a plane right now. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for, for just allowing us to be part of your mission. Thank you for all those that have uh, been laboring around the, the, the building outside the last several weeks, inside on the Bibles, Lord, uh, in the hearts and minds of people as we uh, disciple, make disciples in the midst of doing all of that. It's all part of walking with you. Thank you for the testimony of these two girls that place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for uh, just the reality of the gospel and uh, really what it's all about is being made new through Christ. Lord, thank you for making all things new. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for uh, bringing this church together this morning. Lord, we want to pray for those that are afflicted uh, or in fear of COVID right now, especially those that are elderly or have immune deficiencies. Lord, we want to pray, God, for uh, our nation right now. Lord, there's a lot of things that, that, that really are hinging on uh, you know, key men being in key cities and delivering a key message. Lord, help this message to solidify in our hearts uh, your faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to you so that we can accomplish your mission, your power for your glory. Lord, we're thankful for you, Lord, most of all, for you are life, you are our life, you are our way, the truth, and the life. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And you don't need to be seated because you're not standing, so praise God. All right, so um, this morning as we look at this text, we can conclude our time in Acts with Paul as he testified of the kingdom of God in Acts 28 and verse 23 to the Jews, as we saw in Rome, and we talked about that key city last week. And then this last verse, as, as we just noted, as I just noted in verse 31, it concludes with uh, the kingdom of God mentioned again, but this time it's in reference to uh, the, uh, the Gentiles. 
and who, and, or really anyone who would come and visit with him there at his abode. But it was, he was dealing primarily with the Gentiles at the end of his ministry. And so, um, so I just, I, <clears throat> hang on just a minute here. I'm looking for something else, so forgive me. should have had all this ready before. All right, now I'm on track. Praise the Lord. And so, and so, uh, so this morning, I want I wanted to, I want to get this all in order for my own sake. So, because uh, it'll help us get through this this morning. Of course, my computer just turns off right when I did that. So, you know, I'm having a hard time today. And so as we looked in this text, uh, we concluded that Paul testified of the kingdom of God in both of those verses. And the last sentence of the book of Acts is really the one I want you guys to focus on. Um, because it's really this, it answers a question that's posed in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and uh, in verse 6. And you guys might remember that, but it's been a while since we've been in Acts chapter 1, so you've slept since then. In Acts 1, 6, the apostle Paul, or not the apostle Paul, but the apostles, uh, Peter and the rest of the gang, are gathered before Jesus' ascension. And they say, they ask this question. They say, when, uh, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom <clears throat> to Israel? So they're asking this question. Is this the time when you're going to bring the kingdom to Israel? And, and that, is, that question is answered by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter, uh, chapters 9 through 10, actually 9 through 11, <clears throat> directly. Uh, and, it, and he actually addresses the issue of when will God restore the kingdom. So Paul is privy to that. By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul has already set forth doctrinally when that time is coming. Now, he doesn't set a day or an hour because no man knows when that is, but he gives us a window and he gives us some events that have to take place uh, before that, answer, that question will be answered. And specifically, the question was, when is the kingdom going to be given to Israel? And so, um, and so that's a really good question. The gospel is the most important message in the world. I mean, there's no other message that is as important as understanding who Jesus Christ is, what he did on the cross, the fact that he's not dead, that he's alive. Buddha's dead, Jesus is alive, right? Confucius is dead, Jesus is alive. Uh, you know, all the humanist philosophers are dead, Jesus is alive. And so Jesus is alive, and so we come to a place in our life by faith where we put our faith in him and his resurrection and the belief and the understanding that those who call upon the name, name of the Lord are saved and were born again. And that quickens us. And that's the, that's the most important message to humanity because of Adam's sin in the garden. It corrects uh, the problems of sin in our own lives. And, of course, the sin that's occurred in humanity won't be stemmed off either without the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the most important message that we could ever share. So as, as we see here in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Ghost uh, in the, is, is highlighting a key phrase... So he can provide definition to a key message of the gospel. It doesn't say that Paul was preaching the gospel. We know in other places Paul preached the gospel. Paul preached Jesus. But specifically, God has preserved it to say the kingdom of God. 
twice. He preached it to the Jews, or he taught it to the Jews, and then he preached it to the Gentiles and all that would come to his house. So last week we saw the, the tale of those three cities, and this week we're going to see the, we're going to examine the significance of the two kingdoms. And the theme of the Bible is, do you guys know the theme of the Bible? Those of you have been through maybe D2, what is the theme of the Bible? The kingdom, right? A lot of people think it's the cross, but it's really the kingdom. The theme of the Bible is the kingdom, and from Genesis to Revelation, that's evident uh, it's evident that Jesus Christ is the, the king of the kingdom. I hate to tell you Chiefs fans that, but the real kingdom is Jesus' kingdom. And, it, I mean, we like Pat Mahomes, but we, we love Jesus, right? And Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And so, so a, a question about the kingdom that was posed in Acts there in the first verses is really answered here in the last part. That's really what Paul is doing. and He's telling the Jews those same questions because they want to know about Messiah. He's introducing them to Messiah, and then they're going to have all these prophecies, which I'm going to share with you here in a minute, that they want to have answers to. So how does that work out with everything that we've learned? If Jesus is Messiah, how does this all work? And so uh, understanding the kingdom is essential to communicating the gospel and advancing the church. There's a reason that God wants us, us, this church, but also all the churches that come to the end of the book of Acts and all the Christians that come to the book of Acts to look at that phrase, kingdom of God, mentioned twice if we're paying attention, and go, wow, why, why, why didn't it say gospel? And why does it say kingdom of God? And why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Those are good questions. So hopefully we can answer some of those this morning. As we talk about the key message, obviously the gospel is the key message. But the church, this church, our mission is to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God in the power of God for the glory of God. Right? We don't get the privilege of writing a new mission statement. Jesus gave us a mission statement. All power is given to him. He's given it to us. Now go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We've seen that. We just baptized this morning, and we're teaching the Word of God. But what's, it, what's all that about? Well, it's about a kingdom being established. So when we talk about a key message, and we talk about these two mentions of a kingdom in verse 23 and verse 31, we need to understand that the kingdom of God was offered to the Jews. And I want to talk about the kingdom of God specifically to the Jews for just a moment. Because they have a special place, right? There's a reason we say to the Jew first and also the Greek. And hopefully by now, if you've been following along through the book of Acts with me, you understand all of that. But we're going to kind of touch on that as we wrap up. Because it ties into the way this, this book concludes in this chapter in particular. So in Acts 28, verse 23, as we look at that once more, it says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And so here we see the promise of the kingdom. The promise of the kingdom. Well, that's pretty broad. You could say, well, that's the chief's kingdom, right? Well, no, it's not. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the promise of the kingdom uh, that God had given to the the nation of Israel. He's talking to the Jews here. And, And before Jesus ascended, he told the 12 apostles that it was not for them to know the times or the seasons, for when, it was, when he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. So we saw verse 6 of chapter 1. I put it on the screen. Now in verse 7 it says, And he said unto them, This is the answer that Jesus gave him in Acts chapter 1. This is what Jesus said. Not Brian. This is what Jesus said. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And so Jesus actually says, uh, don't, don't, it's not really, up to, it's not really um, for you to even know the times and the seasons. You just need to get, do what I, the next right thing, which is go, to, go, go in and wait for the Holy Ghost. 
on Pentecost. He's coming. So just wait. And that's what they did. And then after that, they were empowered. You know, so Matthew 28 says, All power is given unto me. The power came when he infused them with the Spirit of God, indwelling Holy Spirit of God. So that's when we get the power. When we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many people get that upside down and backwards. They want to work their way into God's grace. You can't do it. There has to come a point in your life where you give up and allow God's gift of love to to encompass you, right? You receive the gift of eternal life, and you get saved by grace through faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to believe what the Bible says about who Jesus was and then receive Jesus Christ personally as you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. He's the Lord. And so, and so you acknowledge his preeminence, his authority, his su- uh, sufficiency for not only your salvation, but for everything in your life. And so uh, the promise of the kingdom uh, is something that we look at from a New Testament perspective. But if you were Jewish, you'd kind of have a different take on all this. Uh, because when they thought of the kingdom, and I'm not going to say kingdom of God right now, the kingdom just in general, they, they had a different mindset. And so, uh, so before Jesus ascended, he, he told them, he's like, it's not for you to know. So this was a reasonable question for them to ask because those from a Jewish background had the concept that God could advance his kingdom, uh, but they had no concept of how it would be advanced under the situations uh, that they were under, right? They wanted to know, how is this going to happen when the people that you have set apart to be uh, the people in your kingdom have rejected you? So what's going to happen here? Um, And so no distinction is given. As the apostles ask this question, they don't delineate between a kingdom of God or a kingdom of heaven. They simply want to know about the kingdom. It's not wrong to ask to speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven uh, as the kingdom, uh, by the way. But a lot of times we don't understand the distinctions, and, and that's hopefully what I can help you with this morning. From, time, uh, from the time of the fall of Adam until uh, the first coming in Christ, of Christ, the, the concept of a spiritual kingdom was not even available on the earth. And so, really, from after Moses, or not after Moses, after Adam fell, uh, this concept of the spiritual kingdom of God was something that was, well, it was new to those Jews. They really hadn't understood it. But by the time we get to the book of Acts, that's exclusively what Paul's uh, talking about. Now, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned all over the book of Matthew. It's a book of the kingdom. Uh, but once you get into the New Testament, outside of the, uh, outside of the four Gospels, and you go forward... Uh, look for the kingdom of heaven in your Bible. You're not going to find it. It's going to be exclusively, exclusively dealing with the kingdom of God as far as in reference. But it obviously also touches on the kingdom of heaven once we get to the book of Revelation, most importantly. So there's no distinction given in that question, but it's a really good question. So God has to give him some revelation. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus had already revealed the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in his earthly ministry. But I don't think they quite caught it yet. But the fullness of the distinction would not really be revealed until Israel had the opportunity to reject Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, which we've been tracking with as we come through the book of Acts. Now you're probably going, what are you, why is this important to me? Hang on, we'll get there. Jesus gives us these definitions from the, in, in the distinctions himself. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, uh, the distinctions between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are not something we have to make up. They're not something that we have to guess about. Uh, it's really not something that the disciples should have had to wonder about because Jesus Christ had already spoken about it. And, of course, they did get it because the Holy Spirit made sure they understand it, and he's making sure we get it today. In Matthew 11 and verse 12, the Bible says, uh, this is a definition of the kingdom of heaven by Jesus, Jesus' definition of the kingdom of heaven. 
He said in verse 12 of Matthew 11, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. So, so when people say, man, you know what? Religion's about war. And, and they use that to discredit you know, uh, Jesus oftentimes. There is some truth to that. Men have been fighting over the kingdom of heaven since, since Genesis. And it has, it, it, there, well, really, since Lucifer fell, really, if we're going to get specific, which I will hear a little, bit, a little bit more specifically here in a minute. But it suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And then he says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, you know that, that that's, what Peter, or that's what Paul was talking about, right? He, he opened up in verse 23, and he says, he was convincing them from the law and the prophets about the kingdom of God. And so it was all also recorded in the Old Testament. Everything they needed to know, Paul was able, with also the revelation of the Holy Ghost, able to give them everything they needed to know to understand the kingdom of God. And if you will receive it, this is what Jesus said, this is Elias, meaning uh, he's talking about John the Baptist, uh, which was for to come, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That in itself was an offer to the nation of Israel, saying, look, uh, you guys have read, the la- uh, read Malachi. It wasn't their last book. It's our last book. Uh, and, and you know that before the Lord comes back, he's going to send forth a messenger, and his name is Elijah. And before he comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, sons' hearts to the, uh, or the fathers' hearts to the sons, sons' hearts to the fathers. We preached on that on Father's Day, right? So they understood that information. And Jesus is saying, guys, if you would receive me, well, guess what? Um, man, it's on. The kingdom is on. The action is on. Your, your nation is going to be part of a mighty thing that God's been prophesying for centuries. So Jesus, Jesus sets forth what is clear from the Old Testament. The kingdom of heaven is, is physical and involves a long history of violent overthrow. History re- reveals that the kingdom of heaven doesn't look very heavenly. Uh, this all started with a promise to Satan in Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, many of you know it. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan started the fight in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and verse 1. And of course, it caused everything to go into chaos, Genesis 1-2. But God goes into restoring mode. And, and, and you know what? It'll be Jesus. It'll be Jesus that ends it. Satan started the fight, but guess what? Jesus will end it. You know, you've always heard that. You don't want to start fights, but you definitely want to end them. I don't know if your daddy taught you that. That's what my dad always taught, right? And so the physical coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is to reclaim his kingdom. And and that's basically what's been prophesied since the time of the flood of Noah. So Revelation 19, Revelation 20, verses 9 and 10, we get a a blow by blow. It's interesting that the kingdom of heaven, even at the end of the tribulation, comes to a, a literal physical battle. And then even at the end of the millennium, in every dispensation... Uh, there's a battle at the end over the kingdom of heaven, even at the end of the millennium. Of course, it's a short battle as fire just comes down from heaven and, and uh, just scorches everybody. But this, this kingdom of heaven concept, it's a, it's a big deal. That's why I like to watch geopolitical activity. And if you know the Bible, you know all geopolitical activity centers around one nation. What is that nation? The Israel, right? You're very good, class. Most people say the United States, China, Europe, the EU. No, no. It all centers around what God's doing with Israel. And so, as Christians, we should understand that. And so Jude said this, and, and things were getting bad, uh, and God was getting ready to flood the planet not many days later. Well, it was several hundred years later. But this is what Jude, not Jude, Enoch, what Enoch was preaching in, in the book of Jude, in verse 14. It says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied these things. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints 
to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So before the flood of Noah, you have a preacher of righteousness, Enoch, talking about the second coming, talking about a kingdom being restored, talking about God coming back, a a coming of the Lord with ten thousands of his saints. There's a reason that Peter picked up a sword and said, okay, Jesus, let's get him. It wasn't because he was just ready to chop someone's head off and missed, which he did that too. It was because he didn't understand the kingdom. He really wasn't fully grooving on what Jesus was up to. But we are. Jesus' definition of the kingdom of God is is also very important. Not only did he define the kingdom of heaven in the Gospels, he also defines the kingdom of God. Now, these are not the fullest definitions or examples, by the way. Uh, You really, I don't have time this morning to get into all the nuances. I'd probably put you to sleep. But really, in our our Discipleship 2 class, we dive into it. And when you get into HBI, those of you that take HBI, we dig into it well in in those classes as well. But this is what Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 20. He says, And when he had demanded of the Pharisees when when the kingdom of God should come, I'm sorry, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, they're saying, Hey, tell us when the kingdom of God's coming. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't even see it. You You guys don't know what you're asking. A lot of scholars don't know what they're asking today either. Neither shall they say, lo here, lo there. Behold, the kingdom of God is, where's it at? It's within you. That's why we ask Jesus Christ into our heart. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a a physical kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is, is, number one, is spiritual, not physical. You've got to get that down. It's important. So if you're looking at definitions, uh, that's the thing you've got to get in your mind. When he's talking about, and you check me out on this, go through the Bible and you look up the phrase, kingdom of God, it's going to deal with a spiritual kingdom. Whether it's referencing being born again, whether it's referencing what God is doing in the church age, etc., etc. You look up the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel and how God wants to fulfill his promises to them. Also, the kingdom of God is, as he says, within you. And the third thing we see is the kingdom of God was taken from Israel because they rejected Jesus, their Messiah. All right, so it's spiritual, it's within you, and they rejected Jesus, their Messiah. The kingdom of God was taken. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus even mentioned that. In Matthew 21 and verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore say, say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. Wow. So what about all those promises that you gave to the nation of Israel? Good question. I'm glad you're asking. He fulfills those in the kingdom of God. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind. That's why God wrote or gave us the book of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, to figure all that out and sort all that out. And so in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is an example of a Pharisee who had no understanding of the kingdom of God. And you go back and look at John 3.16, everybody remembers uh, or the book of John chapter 3. We all remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? And we understand that. And that is definitely dealing with what a spiritual issue. Right off the bat, Jesus is, is speaking about the kingdom of God to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a chief leader, a chief teacher to the nation of Israel. And he is like, 
what are you talking about being born again? And Jesus is like, well, you know, don't you understand? I mean, this is, this is simple. Well, it's simple if you understand the kingdom of God. But when you, a Jewish leader, like most Jews, were worried about a kingdom, and the kingdom they pr- 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 primarily were familiar with was this kingdom that was seized by, or that was brought to pass by King David, right? The mighty warrior who brought, you know, brought this thing to fore and established a nation, and God had brought him out of captivity, and they reestablished the nation. It was wrapped around the law and the prophets and everything that God said about worship in Jerusalem, literal, physical Jerusalem. That's where their mindset was at. In Matthew 22, the Sadducees were being cute with Jesus. And they also started asking him about spiritual questions that were contained in the Old Testament. And, and under the law, there's a law of the kinsman redeemer, and uh, Ruth was, was actually brought into and grafted into the, the seed line of Jesus Christ through Boaz, through the law of the kinsman redeemer. And so that law was, was taken out of the archives, right out of the law journal, and they brought it to Jesus. And, okay, teacher, we got you now. So what if... What if this lady, hypothetical question, what if she's married to this dude and then he dies and then she marries the brother and then he dies and that happens seven times. In, in the resurrection, whose wife is she? Huh? Because they didn't really believe the Bible to start with. And then Jesus just says, hey dudes, you're, you're ignorant. You don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, and he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, you do, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The power of God. Notice that phrase, power of God. Jesus is like, all power is given unto me. I'm going to give it to you, but wait till the Spirit of God comes and is in you. He ends the book of Acts, chapter 28. The last thing he's talking about is the kingdom of God and the power that we possess because of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. He says, you don't know your error. You don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God for the resurrection. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Boom. Oh, sorry, we didn't know what we're talking about, Jesus. That's right. So what about the king and his kingdom? What about the king and his kingdom? You see, at Jesus' first coming, both aspects of Jesus' kingdom were offered to Israel. Some would like to say, well, most actually scholars would say, well, there's no difference between the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're just all one kingdom. And then they'll go to the Gospels and cite, well, see, this passage says the kingdom of God. And this passage says the kingdom of heaven. And they're both the same account. And so scholarly criticism tells us this. And, you know, they, God gives them, you know, what he does is he gives them enough rope to hang themselves. Because the reason that God is allowing it in both cases is, is because of a very simple principle, once again, that Jesus sets forth, that the kingdom was at hand. He was offering those, the, the kingdom, both aspects of it, initially to the nation of Israel because they were his people. He wanted them to, to steward that. Not just have a physical place in Jerusalem, which was awesome, but also to see the world redeemed through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the sacrifice that he would offer. And, of course, he did that. Uh, that's why he gave them a chance. You notice how after Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and after he ascended, he didn't just say, hey, I want you to go to, uh, to, I want you to skip Jerusalem, I want you to skip Judea and Samaria, and I just want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because those... You know, those Jews, my brothers, they crucified me, and I'm honked off about it. And they don't deserve salvation. As a matter of fact, I'm done with them. I'm going out to the Gentiles. God didn't do that. He did the opposite of that. He came back. And he says, oh, now go to Jerusalem, and go to Judea, and go to Samaria. 
Because he still was offering them an opportunity to, to redeem the world, the whole world. right? He promised Abraham, all nations will be blessed through your seed. And he still was offering Israel the opportunity to get in on that. And, it was, and that's why the book of Acts is a transitional book. During the millennial reign, the kingdom will be restored with the distinctions being revealed in the inheritance of the saints. The seed of Abraham through Israel will receive the physical promises of the kingdom of heaven, <clears throat> which will continue for all of eternity. And the body of Christ will inherit the, the spiritual promises of the kingdom of God for all eternity because they have been born again and are one in Christ. That's a beautiful thing we're talking about on Wednesday night in our Ephesians study. So the church is then typified in, in the Old Testament even. I'm sure Paul referenced this with the Levites in the Old Testament who served in the worship of God and in the priesthood, in the tabernacle, in the temple. They didn't receive a physical inheritance, did they? What was their inheritance? To worship in the tabernacle, to worship with God. Right? The other tribes got the physical inheritance. They got the spiritual inheritance. And so Aaron's seed had that privilege of entering, right? The high priest every year entered into the Holy of Holies. That's why Jesus Christ is our high priest. And now, he, now we're, we're told in, in Hebrews that we can go right into the Holy of Holies. But we're not talking about like a temple in Jerusalem. We're talking about literally the third heaven. When we pray, that's what baptism is all about, by the way, too. It's identification. Because Christ is in us, we're in him. We literally got access to the throne of God. And I can't, I'm telling you, I don't even fully grasp what I just said, but I know it's true. And that's why when we pray, things happen. There's days I pray and I'm like looking for some of y'all and I'm like, where are they at? Lord, where's so-and-so at? And then I pray and then God can rebukes me and says, man, if you'd have prayed, I'd have brought them. Because every time I pray, it seems like they show up. So make sure you're praying for people, man. God works. He gets to the, you get into the throne. Now, this is important. If you want to advance the kingdom of God, and we do, you got to understand these things, that you're actually engaged in a real battle. It's just a spiritual one that you can't always see. So many Bible scholars today make, the, make no distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And God gives those who, who didn't have this faith-based view of scriptures enough rope to hang themselves. So God did, it, did in, interchange the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven during his earthly ministry because they were both at hand, as I've already said. And that's all the evidence a scholar needs to convince you that there is no distinction. But along with that, they will then miss the reality, and this is the bad part, of the differing dispensations and take upon themselves the promises of Israel. It's called replacement theology. I know those are big words, but what it really boils down to is they see things in the Old Testament that are given to the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven in a day yet future. I mean, we can already see it unfolding. And then they apply it to the church and they spiritualize it. And that, my friends, also does cause wars and causes lots of problems geopolitically. Along with that, they miss, that this, they, they miss all of what God has written in Romans 9 through 11. And then God gives us the grace to understand these things because he needs us to be clear when we're teaching and when we're preaching uh, to whom we're preaching and to the hour and the urgency in which we preach. As beloved, this time in which we live where the kingdom of God is being offered through us isn't going to go forever. Well, it will. The kingdom will go forever. But the opportunity to receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't. Through grace, through faith. I mean, just like we, we preach it. Just simply call upon them. I mean, this season that we're in is unique in, in the history of the world. And it's been unique since, since the first century. Praise God for Jesus Christ. But there's coming a time. That's how you reconcile Matthew twenty four thirteen. You can't reconcile it any other way. When the Bible says, endure to the end and be saved. What are you going to do with that? 
you've got to understand the distinction between the kingdom of God, spiritual, and the kingdom of heaven, physical. You've got to understand that when Jesus says uh, that this is dealing with Daniel's 70th week, this is the abomination spoken by Daniel the prophet, how do you reconcile that? Well, God has given us everything we need to understand to rightly divide the word of truth. And so those are the things that, that's how we understand these things. These are important things. And Paul's teaching these things as these folks are coming to his pad. And he's laying this stuff out. And he's letting the Jews know, look, God's not done with you yet. But this is what he's focused on. Because you have rejected, we have, Paul could say that as a Hebrew, and it literally rejected the gospel at the stoning of Stephen. We have rejected Jesus in Jerusalem. We have rejected him. I mean, boom, 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 boom. We as a nation have rejected him. He is putting us on hold. Go read what I wrote to you guys in my epistle to the Romans. Check out verse, chapters 9 through 11. It tells you everything you need to know. You say, well, Brian, how are you so certain? Because I already got it written down. It's really not that hard. So the law and the prophets that he mentions there, that's really important. The apostles in Acts 7 through 8 were defaulting to the prominent prophecy of the Old Testament concerning the king and his kingdom. From the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's seed was to be prolific. We, I think we all know that. He mentions it says the sand of the sea in Genesis 32, 12. And more than the stars of heaven in Genesis, 20, Genesis 26, 4. And even in these promises, there's a hidden distinction between a celestial heavenly kingdom, right, which is like the stars of heaven, and an earthly kingdom, which is as the sand of the sea. And so from Abraham, God promised a seed. And from that seed came his son, and his name was Isaac. And from Isaac came Jacob, and from, the 12, from Jacob came the 12 uh, sons, which eventually became the 12 tribes, and were the fulfillment of God's prophecy to bring a seed through the womb of a woman who would destroy the adversary. So God continues through the Old Testament to reveal what I call the Messiah Highway. Right From Genesis 3 on, man, it's just one revelation after the next. And God gets more specific, more specific as the Bible goes on and begins to continuously reveal down to the reality. Is by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament... Right, you know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You know, I mean, you know all kinds of details. He's out of Judah. Uh, he's of the seed of David. I mean, you know all kinds of specifics, and still Satan couldn't stop it, even though he tried. And it's all a battle for the kingdom. And, of course, now we understand more about the distinctions in the kingdom. And so as Genesis wraps up, God reveals the future of each of the 12 sons of Jacob, and they would grow into these 12 tribes, and they would produce mightily in Egypt, and then they would exit and go through the promised land. In Genesis 49, 10, there's a prophecy. It says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the, the, uh, from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stopped, I'm sorry, he stooped down. He couches a lion as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter. What is a scepter? Anybody ever seen a scepter? You know, that's what a king has. They, they put it forth. I was actually was in London visiting Brian Clark, so I actually saw the crown. They keep their scepter. You know, the queen holds a globe and a scepter which is all whatever. But, you know, what's awesome is that Jesus has a scepter. This is a prophecy about a king, and the king is Jesus. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him, it's not just a place, it's a person, shall the gathering of the people be. It's a prophecy of the king that was coming. The Jews understood these things. They're like, man, we're going to have a king. We're going to have a king. And we're going to have a king. It's going to last forever. The kingdom was expected. The kingdom expected. The children of Israel fully expected the king to come and rule physically in Jerusalem because all the Bible prophecy pointed to it. After David took the throne, God promised an eternal throne. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, and verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his power. How long? 
forever. That's why Peter and those guys were a little bit confused. What do you mean a spiritual kingdom? You said you're going to establish a throne forever. Isaiah the prophet offered up prophecies that left no question that there is a kingdom and a king that will rule forever. You know the prophecy, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us, the nation of Israel, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. What government? The government handed to Moses, right, in the law. Those 660-some commandments are given to us. And there's going to be a lawgiver, man. He's coming. And, 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 and the government's going to be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Awesome. He's Counselor. Awesome. Whoa. The Mighty God. Oh, this is God in the flesh, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Woo! They're like, he's, God's on our side, man. They're, they're all fired up. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even for a little while. No, forever forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this well that's a magnificent prophecy it's a a huge prophecy and it's still accurate and so what's the problem with the kingdom the problem with the kingdom well the king of the kingdom it's very simple was rejected that's the problem no problem with the king no problem with his plan no problem with his offering the problem was with the subjects And beloved, it doesn't matter if it's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's always where the problem lies. In John 1.10, the Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So it doesn't matter if you're talking about the world or you're talking about his own, nation of Israel. We both seem to reject him. I think we could all raise our hand and remember times when we rejected Christ. Even sadly, as Christians... There's times when we reject Christ. It's terrible. We shouldn't do that, but we do. Uh, Pilate had no problem acknowledging Jesus was the king of the Jews. You never noticed that? In Luke chapter 23, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, which he really wasn't. He said, Give unto Caesar what's due to Caesar, so they're lying. But anyway, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. How dare this Jesus say he's a king? Capital K, by the way. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in him. I can buy it. He's the best Jew I've ever met. The Jews wouldn't acknowledge him as their king. In John 19, it's recorded that Pilate, in other gospel places as well, gospel uh, accounts it's reported that Pilate wrote this title and put it uh, put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews this title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew Greek and Latin Pilate wanted everyone to know who this who this fellow was And what they did to their king. And then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. You've pressed this as far as it's going to go, pal. Don't press it any further. He's the king of the Jews. 
the powers that be acknowledged it, put it, on his, put it on the cross, just so everybody knew. Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, so everybody could read it. So what's going on? Well, this is the progression of Revelation. Not everything is just revealed. It progresses out. Isn't that awesome? God works with us. He gives us an opportunity. For those who don't believe, that believe God is so sovereign that he doesn't make space for men to have free will, you haven't read your Bible properly. Because even the doctrinal thesis of the book of Acts and the transition there, uh, the, leading us to the book of Romans, is all about God giving a whole nation an opportunity once more to be involved in establishing his kingdom. And yet, people can't see that either. Even though the Jews rejected Jesus during his earthly ministry, God still offered the kingdom to Israel. And during the earthly ministry, <clears throat> and, and, uh, and during the earthly ministry of Jesus, both aspects of the kingdom of God were at hand. In Matthew 4, 17, the Bible says, From the time that Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can go to the book of Mark, chapter 1, and verse 15, and see it say this, a different thing, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe. So you get Matthew 4, 17 lined up with Mark chapter uh, 1 and verse 15. Now you can, take, you can do one of two things. You can say, see, I knew the Bible wasn't true. It contradicts itself. Well, that's what a Sadducee would say. It's probably what a Pharisee would say if it wasn't going their way. But what's a Bible believer say? What's someone who follows Jesus have to say? We say, look, man, isn't it clear enough that Jesus Christ was offering both kingdoms to his people at his first coming? I mean, you don't need a Ph.D. in theology to figure that out. Why is it that we question God? Why is it that we can't take the Bible as it is in truth and be the very words of God? And trust what it has to say. And trust that the Holy Spirit of God has preserved it. When you take that attitude to, toward it, you know what happens? It begins to answer the questions because it's the Holy Spirit of God that is the author. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that is the teacher. And then you can get some knucklehead uh, that never even got a bachelor's degree to come down here and start preaching about stuff that, that scholars don't even know. Not because we're smart, but because it's revealed in the scriptures. bachelor's degree in theology all right so the entire book of acts documents the delineation of the kingdom of god and the kingdom of heaven as god continues his promise through the gentile church and places his plans for israel on hold for nearly two thousand years and jesus offered the kingdom to the jewish leadership three distinct uh three distinct times i just want to get this in your notes while we're talking about it in acts chapter 2 verses 36 to 37 you see that peter preaches and it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, by the way, this, this book of Acts is written by Luke. This, this data that he's writing in the book of Acts, I'm certain he was also sitting around listening to Paul over there in Rome, and he's just like getting it all down, man. He's getting it all down. How this progression happened. <clears throat> so Peter preaches there. In Acts 4, verses 1 through 8, pre, uh, Peter and John preach. Once again, they reject him. In Acts chapter 7, a famous passage we've already covered. I'm not going to get into that. There's three rejections just in Jerusalem alone by the leadership of the Jews. And, of course, that last one, the Apostle Paul himself was, was overseeing the, the execution, the martyrdom of, of the first deacon martyr, Stephen, the first martyr in the church recorded and as all israel rejects jesus you know what and the gospel transition to the gentiles god still continues 
to reach out to the Jews. In Acts chapter 7, it was there at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 13, the Jews in Asia Minor, Paul, Paul uh, and Barnabas, they preach in Antioch of Pisidia, or Pisidia in Asia, up there in modern-day Turkey. And they preach the gospel. must first be preached to the Jews, but then, you know what they said? You guys rejected this. You Jews have rejected it, so we're turning to the Gentiles. And then in Acts chapter 18 and verse 6, the Jews on the European mainland in Corinth, Paul tries to work with the synagogues. He's trying to work with the Jews, and finally he's fed up with it. He says, fine, I am out, guys. I'm turning to the Gentiles. So they rejected the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul gets to Rome, and we just read it in the book of Acts. And Paul's like, guys, let me tell you something. Isaiah had it right. You guys are blind and hard of hearing. And I'm going to the Gentiles. Paul pronounces judgment upon the Jews as the church age is in full effect in verses 17 through 28 of the book of Acts, chapter 28. In verse 28 specifically, he says, Be it known therefore unto you that salvation, the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. You know Jesus' name means salvation? That's the definition of Jesus. Joshua, Hebrew tongue, Yeshua, means salvation. He's going to the Gentiles, guys. Why? Because you won't receive your king. You won't receive your king. By the way, today, a lot of people want to find all these roads to heaven. But you can't get to heaven unless you receive the king. It's only Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So approximately seven years from the time Paul wrote these words in Rome, the Temple Mount would be leveled by General Titus of Rome, and Israel would not see a temple again. Until when? That's a good question. It's kind of like the question the apostles were asking. When is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? <laughs> we know when. When a man arrives on the scene and bring him peace, there's going to be a temple rebuilt. And the next time there's a temple in Jerusalem, Israel is going to be caught up for the most part, not all, but many will be caught up by the very deception of the Antichrist. That's the next thing on the agenda. What goes on in that temple by the time you get to the midway part of the tribulation is horrendous. I, I submit to you, and, and people can argue this, and I'm not, I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I do think, I believe that there'll probably be human sacrifice happening on that temple mount by the Antichrist. That's how bad it's going to get. Either way, it's going to be an abomination that make it desolate. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And it's going to bring to pass everything that the Jews have always been looking for, which is the coming of the Messiah. But when he comes, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Though the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus, you know what, Any, anybody, all, doesn't, if you're Jewish right now and you're watching, Today is the day of salvation. You can, you can call on the name of the Lord today and be saved. You just got to know Jesus Christ is the king. He's your king. If you're Jewish in the house, man, he's your king. I only got in on, the, I only got in on this because of the rejection, man. I praise God for his grace. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Praise God for his inclusion in his heart to love the world. Though the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus, God will still keep his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, and to the prophets. He will restore a remnant in the coming tribulation. 
And we can clearly see all that coming together. For the last 100 years, God is just putting all the pieces together. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a nation called Israel. And I've talked about that in previous messages of the key city, key nation. So the kingdom of God to the Jews, well, it was rejected. But let's talk about the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. In verse 31, that's what Paul says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Man, praise God for that liberty. Paul was in Rome under, the, under house arrest with great liberty for two years, preaching the kingdom of God to whoever would listen and receive it. We know the gospel was getting great traction in, the, in that time in Rome, around 62 to 63 AD. And we know that Paul's letter uh, that he sent to Rome at the hands of Phoebe before he left Macedonia for Jerusalem, uh, man, he said in that letter, I'm, I'm not just going to stop at Jerusalem, and I'm not just going to stop at Rome. I've got to get to Rome, but I want to get to Spain. In Rome chapter, or Romans chapter 15, verse 24, he says, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. <laughs> I mean, Rome was just a stop on his way to the uttermost. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way uh, thitherward by you. First, uh, if, I, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. He's like, man, I just can't get, wait to get to Rome and get to see you all. I haven't seen you yet, but I can't wait to get there. Many think Paul may have made it as far as the British Isles because of the prolific spread of the gospel and understanding on the scriptures long before the Roman Catholic monk Augustine ever hit the shores and turned it into a church state. So, so what we do know about Paul is in his, his prison epistles, especially to Titus and Timothy, it was a whole different situation before he died. He didn't have freedom. It wasn't like, hey, you could just come and go. He was under hard time in that, in that prison in Rome. We also know that Nero, he may have released Paul in 63 AD and gave him liberty. But by the time it was 64 AD, just a year later, he was no friend of Christians. 70% of Rome was burned. 50% of the population was homeless. And guess who got blamed? A minority of a sect of the Jews. Because the Jews were causing problems down there. Remember those Herodians? They were causing problems for the Romans. So Nero's like, you know what? Who burned all this down? A lot of people thought Nero did, but who knows? Those Jews did it. Those Jews did it. Those ones that, no, not just the Jews. Those Jews that follow that Jesus fella. That guy Paul that came in here. That, that's it. Let's get rid of those guys. They're a threat to my throne. Because there's only one king around here, and it's Caesar. Yeah, right. A year later, you're dead, pal. Right out of Satan's handbook. Remember, that's what Hitler did to the Jews. Reichstag. Who, who did that? Oh, the Jews did it. Remember Benghazi? What caused Benghazi? A fundamental Bible preacher preaching on Islam. That's what lit the whole Middle East into flames. It's like, where's that on YouTube? No, is that 12 views? I don't think so. It's just the same old, same old. And beloved, you need to be aware of that. As we preach the kingdom of God. Because it may not threaten y'all. Because we're just folks. But let me tell you something. It, it, when you get to the kings and the principalities and powers, and you start talking about a literal Jesus establishing a literal throne, and you start talking about being free and having liberty to love people and not get caught up in all the, all the media hype and all the other stuff, and you just love God and you love people, you say, well, how can anyone be threatened by that? I don't know. Ask the Pharisees. Ask the Romans. Ask Nero. You know what our response is? To keep loving. That's what we do. I already covered that, remember? We got the great commission, the great commandment, and the great invitation. 
Because, beloved, we're just ambassadors. We were aliens. We were Gentiles. We were aliens, but now we're nigh unto God, or nigh to God by the blood of Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 says. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But it goes on to say, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You're so close to God because of his blood. That lamb did the work that we could never do. Paul was expounding to the Romans the rich, precious promises we find in the New Testament epistles. He was revealing that whether a citizen of Rome or a slave of Rome, they were sons of God, citizens of heaven, free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and they now have a home and a new identity in Christ. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Remember, it didn't know Jesus either, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You looking forward to that day? Amen. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You're his children. I'm his child. Even so, we were children we, that were children were in bondage in the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that, uh, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore, uh, or wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen? Man, you got, you've got, man, you've got an eternal inheritance. So us Gentiles that were aliens are now accepted. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Paul would certainly have expounded further to those visiting as, as they came to his house and talked about the father-son relationship, just like we do in our D1 lessons. He would have been referencing Romans 8 and talked about spiritual adoption and Romans 8, 15 there about the physical adoption. Romans 8, 23 about the spiritual adoption. And he would have been helping these folks understand what God was doing. Paul did all, all of his teaching by revelation and picture and type that was unfolding from the Old Testament, the doctrine that was taught there. The same thing that we do today. We see us Gentiles are not only accepted, but we're now accountable. Now that we are children of the king and we have spiritual blessings in the kingdom of, of God, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, we give an account to the Father for the stewardship of this great grace that's been bestowed upon us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, the Bible says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. What's been given to you, church? The gospel. We can't just sit around and look at the world burn down. We've got to look at the world and see, you know what? I see, I see dead people everywhere. Not physically dead people, spiritually dead people. If there was a bomb that hit the United States and hundreds of thousands or millions of people died, we'd all be mourning and weeping because they lost their physical life. But you know what? We have a spiritual kingdom. We have spiritual eyes. And when we walk through Harrisonville, we walk through Cass County, when we walk through Jackson County, Henry County, Miami County, Bates County, whatever county you want to walk through, when you walk through this world and you look around, what do you see? You know what I see? I see a lot of dead people. 
And they need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to give an account for understanding the reality of the spiritual truth that's been entrusted to the church until the catching away. How can we look for him which is spiritual and then not give the gospel to people who are walking around dead? I'm asking, I'm, I'm going to be accountable for this. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm fired up about myself. Man, I tell you, it was so sweet to see Kevin Frost give his testimony. We were at the park. You know how hungry people are getting to see spiritual truth? He gets up, just shares a five-minute testimony. I was homeless. I was on drugs. I'm saved. I'm doing good. And life issues. I'm doing Joshua House. He steps down from the pole. It's total strangers. And he gave all the credit and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, I might add, in the gospel. They're applauding. Why? Because it's good news. It's great news, man. Our lives are changed. We're sons of God. We're, we're children of light. How exciting is that? We're going to give an account for how we steward that. This is the only time in eternity we have the option of choosing to serve our flesh or serving our Savior. After the rapture, we're done. I'm serving Jesus forever. But it will be manifest what I did in the body from this time forward. From the time I got saved forward. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. That doesn't mean saved. We're already saved. But will we have an acceptable service? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. That's convicting when you think about what you do in your body, right? Yep. Amen. It's also convicting when you think about what you do in your body. A lot of people don't make that connection. There's, it's all, it, it, you're saved, and yeah, what you do in your body is super important. It's also important what you do in your body, the body of Christ. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, to remind us of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's why we understand when the Spirit of God indwells us, it connects us. I don't just do something that doesn't affect you, and you don't just do something that doesn't affect me. It's like a marriage. What you guys do affects one another. What we do in the body affects each other. We've got to love God, and we've got to love each other. Because if we can't love each other, what's the world going to think? They're going to think it's a reproach. So what will we do with the resources of the king and the kingdom of God that he's given to us and been entrusted to us? And I want to encourage you as we conclude to do all to, do, do all to have confidence in the things that God has given you in this book, the promises of the kingdom of God, and understand the promises given to Israel in the kingdom of heaven, and look forward to that day when the king himself will come and unite those under his throne. Forbidding no man. that the, You know what? No man. You know, Paul didn't forbid anybody. He was done with Jews and Greeks. All who will come. Remember Revelation? All that will come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And all. He's like, I'm done with the distinctions. It's not black. It's not white. It's not American. It's not Chinese. It's, it's everyone's a sinner and they need a Savior. That's where it's at. And there is no place in the kingdom of God for a prejudice. Paul dealt with that in Galatians. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you be one in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You say, but I'm not of Abraham's seed. Yes, you are, because Abraham received the promise by faith. Faith. That's what makes you Abraham's seed. It's faith spiritual let the jews have the physical man we got the better part the kingdom of god is invisible but its impact is tangible yeah the kingdom of god's invisible but the impact of it is tangible 
And so Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. And this is what I really like, and joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 4, 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's not an intellectual argument to persuade people. It is literally the power of God through the Spirit of God revealing truth from the Word of God, and it persuades people. It changes people. It quickens dead souls and brings them to life. That's why when you preach the gospel, it sounds so simple. Well, how can anyone's life be changed? I don't know. Preach it, believe it, and watch it happen. It's the power of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. And beloved, it's on. We need to be about the business. We, attached, we attracted folks, uh, I'm sorry, what attracted folks to visit with Paul? It was righteousness. Are you righteous? It was peace. You got peace in your heart. Right now, a lot of people don't have peace. I do have peace. You can even be slandered for having peace nowadays. You're ambivalent. You don't care. I do care, but I have peace. Joy. Joy, 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 joy down in our heart, right? And power in the Holy Ghost. Our walk should be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, Brian, you're getting charismatic. No, that's what the Bible teaches. We should walk in the Spirit. The best manifestation of that is not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. We have the power that Jesus promised us through the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God to the Jews was rejected, but the kingdom of God to the Gentiles, oh, man, should it be reflected. When we get to, someday we're going to get out of these bodies, and it's going, to, it's going to be manifest how much we were reflecting the light of the sun to a lost and dying world. You know what you see Paul doing in Rome? He's reflecting, man. He is just like a light, laser light beam coming down from God, reflecting out to everybody that will come in here. And by God's grace, may we be those people. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that we would be reflecting your word. Lord, we've been looking at our spiritual DNA. And Lord, you have given us a spiritual inheritance. You've given us a spiritual change that will literally affect our physical bodies. This adoption is not just spiritual. It is also physical. And it actually interacts with your kingdom and the kingdom of heaven in Revelation 19. And Lord, we know these things because your word is true and you've already told us what it, what's going to happen before it happens. The issue is not you being true, it's us being true. Would to God our hearts be set apart to you this morning in truth and holiness and sanctification and honor. We thank you and praise you for your word today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just saying, Brian, I'm not a Christian. I need to be saved. Is there anybody that would say, Brian, that's me? I know it's been a long sermon. It's mainly for the church body, but But if you're not saved, maybe you're watching online. If you're not saved, today's the day of salvation. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Is there anybody as we stand that would just say, Brian, man, I just need some prayer this morning. I need to be that light. Amen. And several of us. Let's raise our hands to the Lord. Heavenly Father, several of our our folks here, several of the people, your children have said, man, I I need something from, from my Father in heaven. And Lord, the Bible just told us we got power. Maybe someone needs some peace. Maybe they need to the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Lord, these are things a good father is not going to withhold any good gift. Lord, help our eyes to be focused on the proper gifts. Lord, not things of this world, but the things above. Help our hearts to be set on things above, not the things of this earth. Lord, forgive us for getting distracted by all the stuff. Lord, help us to be like Paul and in any situation be focused on the mission of God. 
Lord, he walked away from his, his earthly family. He walked away from everything so that he could win Christ. He counted it but dung because he had a proper estimation of what lied, lied ahead of him. And so, Heavenly Father, may our hearts be set on things above. Lord, I thank you for the comfort that we have from Christ, the love that we have, the joy, the peace, or the confidence, as it says there in that last verse. We pray a blessing on your people. We pray a blessing on this time. Lord, I just thank you and praise you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. And uh, that's, a, that, that is a, that's a wrap on the book of Acts. I'll, I, I'm probably going to have one more just general conclusion message that is unrelated to Acts chapter 28. But appreciate you coming this morning. And uh, as you're, as you're kind of taking a seat there and we, we're wrapping up, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Um, Lee Carter, once again, he's traveling to Dominican right now. You might be praying for him as he's, he's picked up his bags. Many of you remember him from our, our vision conference a few years ago, moving to the Dominican. We hope to be able to visit him someday. And uh, just a couple of things. Of course, the exposure to COVID in Cass County is pretty high. So I just want to thank all of you that are being uh, aware of that and, and being uh, uh, you know, careful. Uh, and uh, just encourage those that can't come uh, because of health issues. You know, don't forget them. Email them, text them. Encourage the body of Christ. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Also, um, uh, church tonight at 6, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. I wanted to also mention that we're going to have, uh, for the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to conclude our study on the principles of Bible study. Uh, as, uh, I'm gonna, I won't be here this Wednesday, but that will be uh, taking place. Uh, Mark Lockwood will be stepping in. Uh, and then Fun in the Sun is going great. Thank you for those of you that are, are participating in that. If you don't know about Fun in the Sun on Wednesday night at 6.30, uh, we have a great time with our children's ministry. Uh, elementary age kids are having a, they're studying Jonah this summer. It's a great time, so it's still not too late to get in on that, is it? So see, see uh, Mitch and, and uh, um, Mitch and Jody. Sorry, I did this. To, I did this to Kenley Jones earlier. I just went. I'm just brain dead. So forgive me, guys. You could tell when I started. I'm brain dead today. So uh, I've been on a diet, and I think I ate too much sugar yesterday. So uh, God's rebuking me. Um, and then. Um, I just remember, too, that uh, we, we're still um, uh, registering people for VBS. And then uh, I just put up an event uh, on our website for the men's conference. The dates are set and locked. So if you're a man, we want to hope that you can get registered for that. Uh, we'll be getting the registration page up pretty soon. It's not quite ready, but I, I put it up so you can start setting the dates apart and, and getting all of that. The, the price and all that will be appearing here shortly, and we'll get that out to you. So. Uh, and also, the HBI registration is still open. If you're praying about that, make sure you get with your adult Bible fellowship pastor and get your application going, and we'll get that going here in August. Classes will start. So I think, Steve Fleshman, you want to conclude us in a word of prayer? And uh, as Steve is coming, just remember, uh, offering, if you're giving back to the Lord, we're not taking up the offering like we used to. Uh, just drop it in the boxes at the end, exits uh, or do it electronically. Thank you, Steve. You, I'm just constantly in awe of the word. Uh, just a short testimony. Um, six weeks ago in our Bible hour, we decided to start a new series. And this morning, of all time, we, we studied the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven this morning. And that was Brian's thrust this morning. So I'm just kind of sitting there like, wow. So, uh, okay. So just one, uh, we're going to have walking tacos. And here's your instructions. We're going to kind of line up here in the sanctuary. We're going to enter in at this door right here uh, to my right, not, not going in the hallway, but into the, the uh, common ground room. And uh, we'll, uh, it's $5. If you got $5, you can uh, also tip them. It's for all the proceeds go to our Sierra Leone Bible Project. And uh, then we'll exit uh, out 
the hallway and uh, uh, prefer if we can just eat outside. That's a little easier to socially distance, but we'll uh, exit out through the foyer. So let's, uh, let's stand and uh, stretch just a minute and then uh, go have some walking tacos. <clears throat> Lord, we do uh, bow our heads in uh, humility and just uh, thankfulness, Lord, for your uh, servant Brian, who's just so faithful to uh, bring us the word of God each week. And uh, for all our Bible teachers here, we, we thank you uh, for blessing this church in that way. And Lord, just uh, we pray for our discipleship to continue and for young men and women to be trained up in the word of God and for our uh, HBI efforts. And Lord, we, we lift up uh, Dale Carter and his wife. I, I can't think of her name right now. We pray for their safe arrival in the Dominican. And uh, Lord, we, we love you. We uh, want to uh, pray your blessing on the food that <clears throat> Dave and Shannon and Shannon and maybe uh, others have prepared. Lord, we thank you for them and uh, bless the food to our bodies. Uh, we, we know everything we have comes from you. Uh, dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed.